Hi everyone, before we get started with today's episode, I do just want to take a moment and give a trigger warning for the episode. Uh, There will be conversations about domestic violence and assault. If this is not the episode for you, feel free to scroll down and tune into another episode. Um, Just want to be mindful of everybody. Thank you all for joining. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of Black Girls Have Anxiety 2, the safe space created for Black women by Black women to strip away the taboo of talking about mental health. You'll hear from mental health professionals and advocates as well as Black women sharing their experiences as we break down the complexities, explore ways to heal, and support each other. My name is Ashley, I'm your host. Whether you're a seasoned regular or this is your first time tuning in, thank you so much for your support. Now let's get into today's episode. Welcome to another episode of Black Girls Have Anxiety 2. I'm your host, Ashley. And today we have a very special guest. I'm super excited. I would like to welcome Chantel Branch. Uh, Chantel's a, well, welcome to the podcast, first and foremost. Thank you. I'm <laughs> happy to be here. Yeah. So Chantel is a self-love specialist. Um, she helps women ditch their stinking thinking. And I want to talk a little bit more about that later um, and learn to define love through mind transformation. She's a certified domestic violence and abuse specialist, survivor, mentor, author uh, with a background in human services and counseling. Uh, she is the founder of MFF Project, the social enterprise business offering mentorship programs and support groups for youth in urban schools to build their self-confidence and self-esteem, improve their decision-making skills, and heal so that they can thrive. I love that. Um, Chantel has also written two books. You heard, she's an author. Um, She's written Decisions, which is a fictional tale of real-life experiences in an abusive relationship and Chained by Boundaries. Her second book, which is a a self-help ebook that addresses the challenges with fight-or-flight traumas and denial of toxic relationships. Today, uh, she shares our message of hope for future generations. So I'm really excited to have you on the pod. Welcome. Thank you. Yeah. So I know we got, we got some good stuff that we're going to talk about today, but before we get into like the nitty gritty of the episode, I want to learn a little bit more about you. I want our listeners to learn a little bit more about you. So we got three minutes, three minutes of just some quick hitter questions. Um, Answer the first thing that comes to mind. If there's a story behind it and you want to share, go ahead. You ready? I'm ready. All right. Here we go. If you could live anywhere in the world for a year, where would it be? Florida. Oh, what part? Um, probably by the ocean. By the ocean. Anywhere by the ocean? <laughs> um, maybe Clearwater or something like that. Okay. Good choice. Good choice. <laughs> what well, What's stopping you? How come you haven't moved yet? Um, we're from Chicago, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, if you could choose any person from history to be your imaginary best friend, who would it be and why? Probably mm, from history. Man, that's a, that's not an easy one. I I was, gosh, I had like one name, then I have now I have three names. Um, you can give me three names. Three names works. Okay. Um, I would probably be friends with Frederick Douglass and Harriet Ooh. Tubman. 
<laughs> and I would probably be friends with one of the disciples, probably like Peter or John. Okay. That's a well-rounded crew of imaginary friends. I feel like that's some <laughs> constant good feedback going on throughout the day. Yes. <laughs> um, what's your favorite type of ice cream? Chocolate. Ooh. Um, what's what song or album can you listen to on repeat? I'm not sure that I maybe Israel Holton. Okay. I don't know who that is. Can he you is it? a gospel Christian music artist. Okay. Do you have so, a favorite song by him? Oh my gosh. He has so many songs. My favorite song today, he has his latest is Broken People with okay. um, featuring Doe. So. Okay. Do you want to give yes. me a little uh, sample? No. Mm, I'm not a singer. <laughs> like, mm. now, if I could, now, if that was my thing, you know, I would probably be around the world, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I'm, I'm, I need to look that up on, uh, on Spotify after this. Um, what did you want to be when you grow up, when you grew up, when you were younger? I thought I wanted to be a lawyer. Okay. But I took some mock trial classes and I realized that wasn't it. Mm -hmm. Thought I wanted to be a psychologist, child psychologist, but mm -hmm. I realized that wasn't it. <laughs> Very, okay. So, Yeah. We're going to talk about where you are now in just a minute. Okay. Um, what's your favorite movie? So my favorite movie? Goodness. Mm -hmm. I guess I would say Life. Oh, okay. Classic. That's a classic. Yeah. If you haven't watched Life, go watch Life. Um, okay. Last one. What is the last goal that you accomplished? The last goal that I accomplished is launching my online course overcoming self-sabotage after toxic relationships yes yes i love that we're gonna get into that later too um so i want i want to so thank you by the way for participating in <laughs> the three questions <laughs> love love those answers and i'm looking forward to someday maybe you move to florida i don't know yeah maybe <laughs> So I, I want to go back to talking a bit about, um, I know that I mentioned that you're a certified domestic violence and abuse specialist. So I want to talk a bit about how, how you like came into that, what kind of put that into your path? Well, I would definitely say it started with my first book. Mm -hmm. And after writing my first book and really I guess I would say kind of kicked off the career of speaking on stages, which I really, I mean, when I wrote my first book, it wasn't, that wasn't the goal. I, I didn't want, I didn't have like a, a book campaign and we're going to go across the United States. That just wasn't, I just wanted to um, write this first book. And um, I joined a domestic violence shelter Um and from there, they asked me to tell my story and start. And so that really kicked off the speaking, which catapulted me right into writing the book. And I wrote the book in nine months and it was a domestic violence shelter. And so being in that space in a domestic violence shelter after having written the book, I made a decision to become a domestic violence advocate. 
and I wanted to help women who look like me and also who share the same experience that I have experienced. And so I was in a physically abusive relationship and I know the detrimental effects of abuse. And I also know how your children are affected. And I understand like I, I lived in a shelter for nine months. And so I just understand the process. I also understand the mindset of when you're in that versus the mindset when you come out versus the mindset that you have once you really are intentional and walking through that healing journey and have overcome being in that relationship and really found out who you are. So that's pretty much how my journey began. began, And I really wanted to just help women um, see themselves again. Yeah. Well, thank you, first off, for just sharing the fact that, you know, that was a situation that you also have been through. And I think it's really powerful for you to be able to come through on the other side, not only as a survivor, but like kind of teaching other women how to thrive. And part of that is storytelling. Like that's a big reason why on my podcast that I want to give this space, you know, to women to come and tell their stories, because I think sometimes it can be lonely for people that are going through these situations because it can feel like it's just that person in that situation, but it's really powerful. The fact that you are telling your story and actively, you know, advocating um, for, for these survivors. So I want to talk a little bit about, I know that you had mentioned that you have spent some time in a domestic violence shelter um, and have now kind of transitioned, transitioned into speaking and like uh, helping those same, those same shelters. How, what was the biggest thing that, that helped you, that you, whether it's a person or maybe an organization, but what was kind of one of the biggest things that kind of helped you either move out of that situation, but when, or once you've gotten out of that to start to, to thrive and find your way? I would say faith was the thing that got me out of the relationship and really one thing I think people miss is that, and even the person in that situation is that you still have the power. You still whether you believe it or not, because you've given up so much power and control in a relationship, but it's still your decision um, to heal, to to thrive. And so you have to be intentional about it. And coming out of that relationship, being in a shelter, I was in an environment where I was safe. I was in an environment that I had peace. And I also was in an environment that cultivated my healing. They prompt the healing. It, they, it was group therapies. And then there were one-on-one therapies. And then there was therapies for, you know, they had therapy for children. And so that helped me. And I don't know where I would be or if I would be this far had I not gone through the shelter because coming out of that relationship, there's so much damage. And the one of the biggest things is becoming self-sufficient again, being able to have control over your finances again. If you're living in a shelter, you don't have, you, you obviously don't have anywhere to live. So it's also 
you're building yourself back up and then you have, and it's like, you have to meet your basic needs every day, right? We have to take care of ourselves daily and that becomes, and so you just come out of one survivor mode because mm-hmm. you, and then you're in another survival world because now I need to eat. Now I need to take care of the kids. I have to work. And then maybe you have to, when you're in a shelter, you're desperate. So you might have to take a job that you don't want. Mm-hmm. And then you could get stuck at that job if you don't have plans and you're not intentional about your next steps. And so a lot of people just miss it. They You, you come out of that relationship. You just put your head down. You go to work mm-hmm. and you just you just repeat, 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 but there's no healing taking place. And so you have to be intentional about your healing. And it's going to look like counseling. It's going to look like therapy. It's going to look like getting connected to a community and putting yourself, creating an environment where you can thrive, where you can have peace, where you're not just surviving. You're not just making enough money to make ends meet, but you're actually at a place where you have peace. Mm. And it's a it's a process and being patient with yourself, having grace with yourself, forgive yourself for getting in that situation, forgive yourself that you have to live in a shelter with your kids because it's all of these thoughts that are coming into your mind, plus the fact that you're probably getting stalked at the moment. They're probably constantly mm. calling your phone. And you know, nowadays it looks so much, it looks even different than like years ago, because now with all of the apps, you can call somebody's phone through the app and then you think mm-hmm. it's a regular number and then it's this person and so you're going through all of that and it's really hard to be intentional about healing mm. I mean that there was wow I've never been in that situation but I I what you're saying is just like there's so many different pieces that you don't even think about and I think even just you mentioning you mentioned forgiveness like forgiving yourself for putting yourself in that situation and that didn't even cross my mind that somebody would be maybe feeling that guilty for being in that situation. Did you, did you kind of go through that stage too, where you felt like, like you had to learn to forgive yourself for, for being in that situation or, and how did you kind of get through that? Absolutely. Because here's the thing, that thought doesn't appear afterwards. You're thinking that the whole time you're in that relationship. Oh, and then if the, if, the abuse is public, meaning your family and friends know after a while, somebody's going to say something, even if they're the nicest person in the world. Well, honey, won't you get out of there? Honey, you should just leave. It, it doesn't matter how nice or how mean. It doesn't matter. Just saying those words is like, oh, ooh. And then, you know, oh, you should leave. And then you look at yourself in the mirror and you look and say, you're such a mess or you're so mm-hmm. pitiful. Or if he called you stupid, you say, you're so stupid for staying. And so mm-hmm. you're already, somebody's already talking to you negatively. You're just adding going to that because you believe, you know that you shouldn't be in it. And yet you too afraid to leave. So the thoughts are already there. Now you're out of that situation. That abuse is not there anymore. So now we have to change our thoughts, change the way that we speak to ourselves, change the way that we think about ourselves. When we think of ourselves, like I don't think of myself as a domestic violence victim. I am a woman who is thriving after abuse, who was in that kind of relationship, but I'm not, I'm not a victim. I'm, I'm past surviving. I'm not just surviving. I'm not just making it. I am thriving. And that is a part of my past, but 
I'm very conscious that that happened in my life. Mm. And that's that, that point that you make about, I think a lot of times we hear, you know, trying to change the wording of like referring to people as victims to survivors. But I like that you're taking it a whole nother step into like victim to survivor. Like, how do I thrive now? And I think that going back to what you mentioned earlier, that, um, you know, once people have left that situation, whether they're in a shelter, they're, they're seeking some sort of help or support. And at that point, it's just trying to get the basic needs met. And I, and I know you mentioned that people tend to get to that point and don't necessarily take it further. And I wonder, do you, I guess from your, from your perspective, why do you think that people, I don't even want to call it getting stuck. Cause I feel like that would be that wouldn't be honoring them getting out of the situation. But for people that may feel like they're in that step and they haven't gotten the healing that they needed and they have, they don't really have any other support and they really are just living day to day. Like, okay, I'm out, I made it. And now I'm just, I'm just trying to survive day by day. I'm just trying to take care of my kids. Like what advice do you have to somebody in that stage that doesn't quite know how to move forward? I say get connected get connected to a community. You cannot do it by yourself. Even if you packed up your bags and left, mm -hmm. it's still, you can't do this by yourself. You need support. You just came from a place where you supported this person and everything that they needed that you forgot about you. And now it's okay for you to get into a community because somebody wants to help you. Mm -hmm. For me, I, for me, there was nothing in my area or there was no pamphlets or there was there was no one, you know, talking or mm -hmm. saying, hey, you hey, go and see Chantel because she can help you with domestic violence. There was nothing that looked like me or sounded like me. There was. And, I, and when I heard of shelters, I didn't I never necessarily heard of a domestic violence shelter. When I heard of a shelter, I'm thinking of some some old guys or some. Mm -hmm homeless people who um are for i mean in chicago sometimes like especially in the winter the shelters are full and you will see the lines about six o'clock in the evening yeah. and because that's what i saw that's what i'm thinking so well i don't want to go and live in there i might as well try to figure out how i can save money and you know while i'm in this relationship to sneak away Mm. Um, because that was what I thought. And so, um, getting back to your question, get connected. Your help is in your community. So if you say, oh, I don't have family, there's some organization in your community. Every state has a coalition for domestic violence. You can call your state they're going to provide you the information and the resources. If it's a desperate need and you need a shelter today, they're going to connect you. There's the 800-799-7233 mm -hmm. number to call to get connected. I called the 800 number um, at the time and I got connected right here in my state. I think I spoke to, I spoke to maybe a central operator. They asked me where I lived and they connected me with the shelter. Um, and it was just right away um, that that was it. Wow. So get connected. If you are working, you have a great pay. I'm sure you have insurance. Utilize your insurance. 
is and you have and and get to the point where you have to care enough about yourself to want it, right? You know that you're still living in depression, depression, anxiety. Perhaps you're still dealing with stalking because you haven't put up boundaries yet. You're still trying to find your strength, your value, and your worth. Get connected. Mm. Um, if you are spiritual and you have a church that you can go and get connected, get connected. You can confide in someone, someone. I mean, and I, I think the biggest thing when you talk about getting stuck is um, for when you're coming out of this relationship, because you've given up so much power and control, you don't even realize the power of your words, the, mm-hmm. the, the, the power in your voice. Hey, Ashley, um, I need some help. Um, I can't feed my kids today. If Ashley can't help me, Ashley may, something I said pricked her heart. And she's like, well, hold on, or let me give you a call back. Maybe she can't, maybe she doesn't have $20 to send me, but. She can find somebody. She can find someone Mm -hmm. to say, hey girl, you know what? Um, The food pantries are closed in this area, but I was able to get you a gift card to the mm-hmm. store can you get to the store okay well we can also help get you an uber to get you to the store and then we're, we're sending you a digital gift card and you can it's a 50 dollars card and so that's not going to help for a long time especially but it helps a little pandemic with the prices of food but yeah. it, it'll help in that moment and that those small little gestures I'm telling you, it's like winning an Emmy or an Oscar to someone in that situation. Like, oh my God, they thought enough to help me because they already think of themselves so small and unworthy of help. And Mm. so what do you do? You don't use your voice. You don't ask. And so you walk around and you're full of pride, not even realizing that, oh my God, that's pride, but you're just, and then you have that fear, the fear Mm. of the unknown. What if they say no? Then they say no and go to the next person mm-hmm. and you ask them. Mm-hmm. And Google is our best friend. Yes, that's so true. I think it's, I'm sure it has to be a situation though where you're, where there is some sort of like shame involved, you know? And, but I think, like you said, just overcoming that and knowing that there are people out there that will help you and ta- really tapping into your community. If anybody that, um, that needs that number that Chantel mentioned earlier, uh, I'll be putting resources in the description. So if you need uh, to reach out or you need resources or you need to tap into a community and you haven't found anybody to help you yet, um, or you need to pass this information on to somebody else, all those will have some resources for you in the description. Um, and also some, some ways to contact Chantel if you're looking for her services. But um, I just want to plug that in there now. <laughs> but um I, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, after you're in that, that that stage of like you've left this relationship and then you start the healing process and getting to the point where you're thriving. And I know that um, I, I want to know kind of like in your words, what does thriving look like? Like, how would you describe even just your own experiences? If you could like use five words you can use more words than five, but how would you describe thriving after abuse? I would say resilience, courage, power, control, 
boundaries. Mm. Mm. Let's talk about the, the control piece. And I guess it would be kind of regaining some control. You but regain your control. Yeah. And the thing is, it's almost as if you don't know that the control is back in your power or the, that you have the basketball in your hand, that your team has the ball. It's like you don't know that your team has the ball. And it's like, it's your mm-hmm. play. You're like, oh, oh. It's my turn now. It's my turn. Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. And so, yeah, I think mm-hmm. that's it. And then you also mentioned resiliency. Like, and resiliency, what does that look like for you? Is that just keep it, keep going every day? Is that making sure that the things that you implemented early on that you're still doing, whether it be counseling or reaching out or tapping into a community or like, what does that look like? I think it can look many different ways for different people. I think for me, resilience for me was a big part of rebuilding. Mm -hmm. So getting self-sufficient, getting my own place. I always kept my job. Thankfully, I just didn't, I didn't, um, I didn't have anywhere to live because I left um, the relationship. But, and so it will look like becoming self-sufficient, right? And so after you become self-sufficient, meaning you're meeting your basic needs, Mm -hmm. after that, now is the the personal development. Now is the self-discovery because you need to figure out who you are. I teach a workshop for women called I Like Ice Cream. And it's so simple because it's like you literally forget. Like I forgot I like chocolate ice cream. And I thought it was so ironic that that was one of the questions today <laughs> because that was something early on that I, early on after I left the relationship, that's when I started realizing my control. I started realizing my power again. And it was just something simple, going to the grocery store, going to the ice cream aisle. And I don't have to pick Neapolitan because they only give you a little tiny bit of ice cream. I don't have to pick vanilla or strawberry because I was the only one who liked chocolate. I can go ahead and get me get get my chocolate ice cream and I and so when you're in that situation you may have felt guilty bringing home Neapolitan or you may have I may have felt guilty bringing home just the chocolate ice cream and didn't bring my, the part, you know, the partner that I had, I didn't bring them what they wanted. You know, that, that, that was a fight. It could be a physical, it could be a verbal, emotional, it could, it's some, whatever it was, it was going to be negative towards that person. And so in that moment in a grocery store, I'm like, oh my goodness, I do like chocolate ice cream. I have the control to go and pick it up. I have the power to pay for it. Right. So I have the means to do it. And it's something that I like. So rediscovering who you are. Also, discover who you're not. In those moments, Mm -hmm. I discovered I am not tolerating another relationship with abuse. Mm -hmm. And I didn't have the words affirmation. I didn't have boundaries. I didn't, and triggers. Those were three words that I I use all the time now um, as of the last couple of years. But when I was in that relationship, that was nothing that, or when I was in the beginning of my rebuilding myself state phase, those were things, those weren't words that I was using, but I was affirming myself every day. I kept reminding myself that I was safe because for me, I needed to be safe. And if I was going to be in a relationship with someone, 
I need to be safe from the moment we get together. Mm. And if I'm not safe or I don't feel safe or my intuition, any part of my body feels uncomfortable, I'm going to exit left because I've already gone through too much trauma and I don't want to go through more or, you know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. those were some of the things that I did to work through and remind myself and discover who I was again. Yeah. I know you mentioned boundaries and I I know we've talked about boundaries on the podcast. Um, It's something that comes up often. And I think in, in this situation, you mentioning boundaries and it's interesting that you're applying boundaries now, like in future relationships in, um, is that something that it, how hard was that to start to establish boundaries? Cause I feel like even for me, like, I just feel like it's, it's, it's a hard thing to just set boundaries and stick to them. It but I is. imagine in a situation like that, where you are dealing with, where you've dealt with domestic violence and now you're out in the world and you're like on this new path and you're healing. And like you said, you're rebuilding. How, how do you, I think that take probably takes some courage to put your foot down and set those boundaries. It absolutely does. It, and it, and it's also when you're in a, so when you're in a relationship, like if you're, those are listening, if you're married or in a relationship right now, it's actually harder to establish boundaries versus mm-hmm. when I got out of that relationship, I, that was just one of my boundaries. So if your text message sound aggressive, there's no need for us to go any further. Guess what? I'm not caught up. I didn't kiss you. I didn't hug you. Um, even if we went on a couple dates, the text messages and the conversation, and it, and it probably wouldn't be a couple dates because at that point, I just didn't want to deal with anybody. So if we are having a conversation through, t- through text message or telephone, I'm going to hear immediately. Um, and, and also I was looking for red flags. I'm looking for signs. I, I'm looking to hear is his tone going to change is this person going he he's nice today i also was testing he's nice today let me see him in 30 days and that was yeah. you know and those were boundaries for me because i wanted to make sure that i didn't fall in love with another person that was just like the last relationship that mm-hmm. i you know um during therapy they one of my questions was early on was did I see any red flags or signs? And I was immediately offended. And I looked at her and was like, what do you mean? Well, no, I didn't see any. And I was so angry, but I never forgot that question. I never forgot that experience. And it took me years. Mm -hmm. I'm married now. I, at this time I had three children and I started, and I'm probably, I don't think I was, I had written my book yet, but I, I just, that, that question kept playing over and over and over. And when it popped up one day, I started thinking back. There were signs. There were signs mm-hmm. in the text message. There were signs in the first, there were signs in the first six months. Mm. And that's not, and that's a stretch because there were really signs um, maybe in the first three months. And then how about proof? that you shouldn't go any further in six months, right? Mm-hmm. But really, when I really, really thought about it, the signs were there through text message. 
They were was there. Was that like control? Was it like, what did Where that sign look like? Where are you going? Oh. But I also was very outgoing. We're both were into our careers. Um, I'm networking, you know, and then it became over going out together to we never went out again. And it was like, I'm in a house with this person all the time. And so, yeah, my life totally, it, it completely did a 180 degree turn. Wow. Can you talk about any other red flags? And um, just for anybody that's listening that maybe that's just peaked their, you know, made their ears kind of perk up. Just you saying somebody being like very argumentative and started to pull you out of spaces that you're, that you used to be in, that you're always in, that's become a part of your lifestyle. So were there, are there any other red flags for you or maybe some that you might've heard that you know of that maybe people should just, it would be helpful for people to know? Sure. The signs of jealousy were there. I interpreted those signs as he's really into me. Mm. How about, yeah, I mean, those he's really into me. And again, paying attention to where you are in your life. When you go, when you're, when you're going to go into a relationship, you're going to give up pieces of you, right? But there are parts of you that you know you, you shouldn't compromise. Mm-hmm. You know, um, let, me, let me think of an example. Oh, you are, perhaps you're a very nice person. You serve, you, 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 not, you, you check in on your neighbors, you, you, you check in, you're a volunteer. That's just a mm-hmm. part of you. Your family does it. And then you get with this person and all the time when you have to go and volunteer, they somehow pull you away from that. And it could be through a fight. It could be them planning something. It could be them saying they planned something. And then you realize I should have been here and mm. me and him are, maybe it was a fun date the first two or three times, but Pay attention to patterns and behaviors of people. Think about it. When you go and get coffee, do you always go to the same coffee shop? Mm, Yeah. Yeah. Because the one on the other side of town makes my coffee a little bit better. Yeah. It's an extra two miles. And I have, and then you try to figure out how you can plan an errand to go to that, to that one, because you really like that coffee, right? So pay attention to their patterns. So that's a pattern. They are pulling you away from what you always do, volunteering. You love to do this. Mm. And they're pulling you away from that. It's okay if it's occasionally, but pay attention to when it's all the time. Or pay attention to if you volunteer once a week at church, right? Or once a week at the nursing home mm-hmm. to... It went from four times a month to three times a month to two times a month to one time a month. And before you know it, what, what, six months passed and you haven't volunteered? They're calling you, they're emailing you. So, you know, those are small things um, that may appear one way, but really, what is this doing for me? What's happening? This person is getting more of your attention and time. And then where you love to be and, you know, because we can love other areas and do other things away from our spouse. Mm -hmm. Um, My husband likes golf. I don't want to go to golf. (laughs) (laughs) 
I feel that in my soul. I don't want to go to golf. Look, I don't, don't want to be anywhere around golf. I'll, I'll drive the cart though. That's what I, that's the extent of the golfing that I'll do. I'll drive the cart. That's it's it. a long day. There's a lot of it's 18, nine mm-hmm. holes. Listen, yeah, too many to holes. I don't want to go to golf. <laughs> yeah. No. So what I'm saying is we're individuals coming into a relationship and we're going to grow together yes some things i'm not gonna do maybe some friends are toxic to me and my boo right Mm -hmm. or maybe their personalities just don't mix that's okay but does that mean that you shouldn't hang out with that friend anymore or you have that friend that they don't like you hanging out with Mm -hmm. and this friend could be outgoing this is the friend that um, wants to get you to come to the movies and go to the spa or mm-hmm. girl just come dance with me or girl you know this is the friend that um, loves positivity loves your time but this person you're dating they they don't like them or they come up with an excuse of why you shouldn't like them either where mm-hmm. you and you're like what they've been my friend for 20 years right and so that's those are some things um excessive calling excessive um texting um, I text you at seven o'clock. It is seven thirty-five p.m. and you didn't call. And if you are that person listening who's doing that, pay attention to your behaviors. Right? Mm-hmm. How often are you texting this person? How um, how long is it in between your last text and your next text? Mm-hmm. And then doing that self check. How come I'm impatient waiting on them to text me back? Because mm-hmm. it's something that's happening within you. We are not perfect girlfriends, okay? Yeah. <laughs> up to the party. No, no, we, we are not perfect, right? So paying attention to our behaviors as well, because maybe we have some possessive behaviors. Maybe we have some aggressive behaviors in relationships, and that could be the, the reason right? Why you're not in a um, a thriving relationship now. Maybe that was the reason in your last relationship that you didn't do the cleanup work. And I think a lot of times to even answer um, one of the previous questions is when you're coming out of that relationship, what's missing is addressing the residue that's left on you. What's left on me? I had, I had wounds that physically needed to heal, but then I had a big mental wound that was going to take longer to heal than those physical wounds. Because like those physical wounds, I don't even see them anymore. I'm so grateful and thankful that I can't see them anymore. They literally like blended in with my skin. I'm that that is so grateful for me. And everybody doesn't have that story, but mm-hmm. addressing the residue after a trauma, after a toxic relationship, that's the self-work. That's you getting anchored to self-love because Mm. when I love myself, I love myself so much now, right? I'm not going to allow myself to be in a relationship with somebody that's going to physically hurt me. I'm calling the police. You going to jail. I'm calling your mom. Like I, like before I was so quiet, I didn't call the police um, several times, but people did call for me gratefully. Um, But I, I, it, I was so afraid. I didn't, I didn't use my voice. I should have screamed and ran into the middle of the street. Like now I'm going to, it's going to be a whole movie scene. I'm going viral. Like, no, no. And it's, it doesn't matter who it is. No, 
And when you know that about yourself, like when you become conscious, right? Like a baby, once a baby becomes conscious that they have the ability to walk by themselves, they don't really crawl anymore, right? Mm. So just think about it. I'm conscious. I know I don't want to be physically, verbally, emotionally, spiritually, financially. And there's a new um, language developing technically. So if you're being harassed um, um, through social media, and it's also um, the blackmailing that can go on, the stalking. And so it's just also, um, you know, everything that, not everything because it's not physical, but you know, you can still experience the emotional abuse. So all of that is through technology. And so they're calling it like technical abuse. It's not, it's, it's, it's coming, but I don't know if they're yeah. going to change it from technical, but it's coming. Yeah. So that's the newest form because yeah. that's media. a good start though, because social media has presented a whole new avenue for people to, to just terrorize people. Terrorize it, people. Consent you know? and boundaries. Who, who has consent to be in your presence? Mm. Who yeah. are you giving consent to? Who has access to you that shouldn't? And you know they shouldn't. Like mm. I knew the first time I should have ran. Oh, I should have ran so fast. Yeah. I knew that. Even before that, I when I saw people being abused, I would help them. We, I, if we need to get in my car, we need to run. I will. I was your girl, and I and I was I was a part of some of that stuff. And then to find myself in that place with not being able to use my voice, not calling those same people like, hey, come get me, you know, help me like I helped you. Nope, I didn't say anything. So yeah. realizing the power in your voice is key. Mm. I want to go back to something you said just a minute ago, talking about regaining that love for yourself. And I want to talk about this self-love. And I think sometimes self-love is just easier said than done. Mm-hmm especially in this particular situation where it seems like you have to relearn who you are, remember who you are, figure out who you want to be. And then on top of that, pour into yourself when it mm -hmm. feels like there's really not much left or not much to use to pour into yourself. So how do you, how did you start to build that self-love back up and how do you maintain that now? Great question. Activities. Self-care. So we wasn't calling it self-care then. Um, I love to get my, I love to get pedicures. So I would get pedicures. That was one thing of self-care. I love to dance. And during this particular time of my life, I had time to dance and I would dance two times a week. Um, cardio, lots of cards. So it's a lot of, um, lots of movement. And I didn't realize it then. I totally didn't realize it then, but that was such a huge part of my healing. I was connected. I, I still, I was, I got more connected with the people that I lost connection with because I was extremely isolated. So I started getting back connected. I just started enjoying myself. And so if my sister was having a barbecue, I'm just going to go to the barbecue and enjoy myself because it was a lot of times when we would go out and I would just be walking on eggshells, pins and needles. I remember going out to a nightclub one time and we were young, we were young, we were in, you know, and we were going out to a club. And I remember right before he walked in, he whispered and said, you better not know anybody in here. 
and I and I was like, oh my goodness, okay. Of course, I knew somebody in there, and it was this was the craziest night because the guy I knew, he he whispered in my ear and he said, I won't tell him that I know you. It was like weird because he didn't see him whisper, and it was like right. so it was, and it was like okay, thank you. But what it was like a blessing in disguise because it was like, yeah. as soon as I walk in, I see someone I knew. Actually, we saw someone we knew because we went to school with them. So okay. it was like the first person we see was someone we knew. So that was scary. And then uh, later on as we we're dancing or I was dancing or whatever, I see someone I knew from college and I'm like, oh, Lord Jesus, yeah. I don't know you. You don't know me. And somehow he just, and then maybe he saw my face. Maybe I was going to say, maybe he felt that energy. Like maybe this, yeah. this could put her in a situation. I'm just going to back off. And he, yep. And he just said, he was like, I won't, I won't say, you know, I don't know what yeah. it was like weird. Cause it was like, it was just weird, but it was just such a blessing. And I never forgot that. Actually I did forget. And I just remember now, but it was so scary. Yeah. Um, because those are the scare tactics. So that's a sign. That's a sign right there. That's a scare tactic. Mm. Um, scare tactics. Manipulation. You're 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 scaring me. Not we're in a Chicago club. You're mm. scaring me. It was a big inner city, and you better not know anybody. That's like if we're in a small town and we go to the local bar. Yeah, you're you gonna know somebody. Know anybody? Okay. Yeah. So that was a red flag for me too. That was, you know, that could have, that should have been a sign. I should have went home and said, Hey, we went on a date. And he said, I shouldn't know anybody in a Chicago nightclub. What do you guys think of that? You know, mm -hmm. or mention it. And they like, Oh, that doesn't sound good. Or why would he say that? You know, I never said anything. So we hear conversations all the time. We hear when it's toxic and it's like, we hear for other people, but we don't hear for ourselves. Mm. Yes. That's, I mean, that's such a, I feel like that's just so much stress to be under the whole time. And it's got to be doing a number on, of course, on your mental health. On um, your brain. Your brain stays in high alert. Yeah, I was going to say, you if, are if, on if, high alert all the all time. All the time. So, it's, so you're caught in a battered woman syndrome mm -hmm. um, by Lenore Walker. Um, she created that term battered woman syndrome. And it's literally, you learn how to appease the other person you do whatever they say and even to the point that it could possibly endanger your children but it doesn't matter because you're caught in that cycle and all your your main focus on high alert is to just keep everybody calm keep your partner calm keep just and in order to keep everybody else calm you are on high alert you're on high alert and you stay like that the entire relationship some women live like that for 20 and 30 years Whew. and they stay like that and that's just doing a number on your nervous system. I mean, not only your brain, but your nervous system is in is in fight or flight all, all the time. time. So what happens to your body? Mm. All the those those signs are already the signs were already saying, "Hey, girl, yeah, the signs are already coming out." But now, now then, illness. You know, you get this. You get this random illness. Well, where did this come from? The domestic violence relationship mm -hmm. you've been in for ten years that you keep saying it's going to get better and you stand for the kids and either mm -hmm. the children will learn how to be an abuser or they will learn how to accept abuse. That's what you're mm -hmm. teaching them. That is literally what you're teaching them. So when you're saying you're staying for the kids, are you really, 
Not if you're caught in that cycle, not if you're in a battered woman syndrome. And then also the financial control. Yeah, that's, that's a that's, major piece. That's, that's a piece that always comes to mind for me because I always think if somebody's in that situation, I mean, I, I, I remember during 2020 when things started to go downhill quickly, right? And I remember one thing that was like on my heart often was if there's a woman or a man that's in this situation and they are dealing with domestic violence, having to stay home every day with this person has got to be terrible because you go from at least having some, I'm assuming some sort of reprieve when you're go when you go to work or when you go pick up the kids or when you go, you know, go to see your parents or something like that. And you have a chance to be out of that space. But I could, I couldn't imagine having to be with that person all of the time and the mental toll that that's taken on people that were probably in those situations, you know, during, during that, that particular year, that was the one thing that came to mind, but whew, yeah, I know on average it takes, this is according to Jane Claiborne from the James house shelter on average, it takes a woman seven attempts to leave an abusive relationship for good. Um, and that is, I mean, it's heartbreaking that it takes seven times, but I know that there's a lot more to it when it comes to why it takes seven times. I know, like you said, the financial piece is a huge thing, but um, do you have an affirmation for somebody that maybe it's that seventh time and they've left and this time is for good. Do you have an affirmation that they can take home today? So I would say after many failed attempts, I finally regained my strength and I never looked back. Mm. Yes. Yeah. I might have to make that into a post because that is, that is, I think that's perfect. And I think that's a great tool for somebody to have, because I think the beautiful thing about affirmations is even if you don't believe them at that point in time, it's almost like a mental trick that you're playing on yourself. Every day you say it, write it on the mirror, put it on the wallpaper of your phone, write it on the palm of your hand, like do whatever you need to do to keep, keep saying this and, and keep reminding yourself that this is something that keep reminding yourself that this is something that you can accomplish, even if you don't believe it yourself at that point, you know, Whew. um, I want to talk a little bit about, I was like going through your posts on Instagram a little bit. And, um, I know you mentioned, uh, defining love through transformation or maybe redefining love through transformation. Can you talk a little bit about how you've redefined your love, maybe your love for yourself, your love for other people um, through your transformation? Absolutely. I think it goes back to dismantling those old thoughts and behaviors. So if I felt scared or I had a memory that triggered my body to react, meaning experiencing dry mouth, hairs on the back of my neck raising, me thinking, going back to that high alert, my body's thinking I'm getting ready to get attacked. My brain goes into, I need to protect the body. So now I'm in high alert. <clears throat> I would tell myself that you are safe. 
you are safe. You are safe. You're not going to be harmed today. You're not going to be attacked tonight. You are safe. And before I knew the word affirmation, that's what I began to do my to do to myself. I began to tell myself for every negative thought I had, I had to find something positive. I'm not going to call myself stupid. I'm out of a relationship. Why am I going to keep making myself feel bad? I need to forgive myself and leave it right there and walk away because that relationship is over. I am healing and I never want to go back to that. I don't even want to go back to those thoughts right? because it's going to do something to my body. And mm-hmm. so that's the mind transformation is we are going to identify your default settings, right? Mm-hmm. What do you do when you're faced with a, with a problem or you experience trauma? <clears throat> How do you respond? How does your body respond? Knowing that about yourself, now, <clears throat> excuse me, mm-hmm. now, now let's begin the real work, right? Because now we need to figure out if you're telling yourself that you're ugly when you should be saying I'm so beautiful. Well, what part about you do you believe is ugly, right? Mm-hmm. For maybe a woman who's had a beautiful body all her life, she gets pregnant for the first time. She's like, oh my God, I didn't know my stomach was going to look like this after the baby and she's the baby's born and then it's the same way like that postpartum right you you, you're all in your head and you you want to look like your neighbor who's out there with her jogging stroll look at her body oh my god and then you go into this comparison mode Mm -hmm. what we want to do is not fall on our default settings we actually with the self-love you need to change your default settings. So mm-hmm. that's like a problem happened. Somebody died. Okay, we going to get drunk. We going to get high. Let's pop some pills. That's a default setting. Mm-hmm. Because of whenever you experience some type of trauma a long time ago, you use that as a coping mechanism or a, cope, a way to cope. Mm-hmm. Let's figure out how you can cope when you're faced with traumatic situations, because you're going to need to rely on that in this season and perhaps for the rest of your life in order to live a life where you do have peace and love and joy and patience and kindness, goodness, gentleness, meekness, self-control, all those things are for you. And you need to practice that so that when that person comes along, I can tell you how I want to be loved. I can show you how I want to be loved. Mm. And I can also identify if the way that you're talking to me or communicating with me is not, it's not good for me. Mm. Ooh, thank you so much, Chantel. I appreciate it. I appreciate your time today. I, before we close out, I'm just going to do our mind game segment. Um, it's a quick segment where basically I read the, uh, I tell the audience a, a disorder they got to guess what the disorder is and then um you can guess too if you want okay. um and then we and then we'll be good for today i think we've got we've got so much so many good things today i i appreciate you so much i almost forgot about the mind game segment 
Um, so today for the mind game segment, if it's your first time listening, like I said, I'm going to read a disorder. You won't know what the d- disorder is. Then you get to guess it at the end. If you're on Spotify, you can actually guess in a little pop-up. Um, if you win, if you get it right, I'll pin it. All right, here we go. According to the Cleveland Clinic, uh, this disorder is a serious mental health disorder in which a person appears sick or produces physical or mental illness. People with this disorder deliberately produce symptoms of an illness for the purpose of receiving care and attention in a medical setting. Uh, The symptoms are intended to get them practical benefits. The gain is mainly psychological. Um, It's associated with severe emotional difficulties and patients' likelihood of harming themselves by continuing to produce more symptoms, resulting in getting themselves unnecessary procedures or surgeries. There's two different types of this disorder. The first is blank disorder imposed on self. It includes the falsifying of psychological or physical signs or symptoms. The second is blank disorder imposed on another person. This is when people with this disorder produce or fabricate symptoms of illness in others under their care. So it could be children, elderly adults, pets, disabled people. Um, It most often occurs in mothers. Of course, it can occur in fathers, um, but it does occur in mothers who intentionally harm their, their children in order to receive attention for themselves. The diagnosis is not given to the victim, but rather to the perpetrator. Chantel, do you have a guess as to what you think this might be? A hypochondriac. Oh, that's a good guess. That's a good guess. For anybody listening, this is your last chance to get to put your guesses in. The answer for today's mind game segment is factitious disorder. Mm. So factitious disorder, um, it's got a bunch of different symptoms. I won't go through them all. I'll actually put the uh, link in the description so you can look more into it. I ended up doing diving into a rabbit hole on this one. Um, but some of the warning signs are dramatic but ins- inconsistent medical history, unclear systems that aren't controllable or become more severe or change once treatment has begun. Um, a presence of many surgical scars, appearance of new additional, new or additional symptoms following a negative test result, um, refusal of psychiatric or psychological evaluation, which I found very interesting, and also forecasting negative medical outcomes despite no evidence. Um, it's estimated that about 1% of people admitted to uh, hospitals have fictitious disorder, but this is likely underreported. Um, interesting enough, Factitious disorder that's imposed on somebody else is also was previously known as Munchausen syndrome by proxy. Um, If you are, if you love watching TV like I do, um, I particularly love like TV and movies that have some sort of mental illness woven into it, just because sometimes we just don't talk about this stuff enough. So it's interesting to see it played out. But one thing that popped out to me is the act on Hulu, which is a show that's based on the true story of Dee Dee Blanchard and her daughter, Gypsy. You guys might be remember this, depending on how old you are. If you remember, like, believe this was late to uh, early mid two thousands um, when Gypsy was kind of doing a bit of a countrywide tour uh, that her mom took her on. And she had a, a litany of all these different disorders and health issues. And um, it turned out that unfortunately her mom had, created all of these and um there's a really sad ending to the story 
Uh, I won't go into that today, but it is an interesting watch um, to see this particular mental, mental disorder on the big screen. Um, so Chantel, I will, I, I thank you so much for taking the time out today to, to chat with me. Can you tell the people where they can find you if they want to reach out to you? Absolutely. You can find me at mffproject.com. You can also find me at Chantel underscore branch underscore speaks on Instagram and Chantel branch on Facebook. Yes. And Chantel, you also have two books out. Um, can you tell us just, you don't have to go into the two books, but just the name of the books and where they can find the books if they want to. You can find Chained by Boundaries and Decisions on Amazon. Perfect. So make sure you guys go get those books. I'll actually put the link to both in the description. You have the links to uh, reach out to Chantel if you want to book her for a speaking engagement, if you're interested in maybe having her on your podcast or interviewing her, if you uh, provide domestic violence support services and you'd like to reach out to her, her information will be there. Um, there will also be information for domestic, different domestic health, domestic violence uh, support resources. Uh, feel free to use them if you need them or share them with somebody else who you might need that, who you might think uh, may need them. Um, thank you to everybody that tuned in today. Uh, remember to follow Black Girls Have Anxiety 2 on IG, Black Girls Have Anxiety 2, TikTok, same thing, Twitter, Anxious Black Girls, that's BLK. Um, but again, the National Domestic Violence Hotline is 1-800 or 800-799-7233. If that's something that you, uh, you need to support you in this moment, please don't hesitate. Please don't feel ashamed. Please don't feel embarrassed um, to reach out. The support services are there for you. Tap into your community. And, um, you know, somebody is there to help you. So I hope that you all enjoyed this episode. I hope that you all really got something from this episode. But Chantel, again, I appreciate you sharing your story. Um, I, I, I hope you, <laughs> I really appreciate you sharing your story. I, I know this is not something easy to just talk about. So, uh, but I do think that it will help a lot of people out there. So thank you again. Thank you for having me on your show. Yes. All right. Well, everyone have a great, wonderful day, night, whenever you listen to this. Chantel, you have a great rest of your weekend and I will talk to you all soon. All right. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Black Girls Have Anxiety 2. No matter where you are in the world, I really appreciate your support. See you again on the next episode, but until then, follow us on Instagram at Black Girls Have Anxiety 2 and on Twitter at Anxious Black Girls. That's Anxious BLK Girls. And remember, just because you're struggling doesn't mean you have to struggle in silence. The more we talk about it, the more we heal. <laughs>